think the the value of being heard is like a, a basic human desire. Yeah. You know, human beings just want to be heard and whether that's coming from a medical scenario, whether that's in a relationship, whether that's, mm-hmm. you know, healing trauma, whatever context, you know, like going to a friend of mine has um, her kids go to the same school as my son and she's been having a lot of back and forth with the school about the needs of her, her kids and uh, individual requirements for them. And her major issue is that she's not being heard, that, you know, they're not listening, they're not implementing, you know, and that feeling of being dismissed, you know, we don't like it as children when adults are like, well, go play, you know. We don't like it as adults. And we don't like it as adults. That's exactly right. You know, that, that, um, that need to be heard and that feeling of being ignored or not important or, you know, um, is really affects us as as humans and that's across the board you would think that because we all need it we all recognize that we need to give that to others but it doesn't always work that way no it really doesn't yeah i've found that over the years like i like i thought it was just like i need someone to understand me and it was really no i just need you to listen just like be here and just listen to what i'm saying you don't have to help me or coach me just just kind of being like a mirror for me just just yeah, yeah which i've had over the years acknowledgement acknowledgement yeah. that you know even if i disagree or if i um you know can't do anything about it just acknowledging that that is the other person's experience okay mm. i hear what you're saying i appreciate that that's what you feel like you're going through you know, even if it's a disagreement, so even if HR and corporates and, you know, people putting in, I was speaking yesterday to some people involved in the current situation with Ambulance Victoria, which is around workplace bullying and sexual harassment and stuff. And and the inability to effectively communicate from management level, okay, well, we, we're gonna, we acknowledge that this is an issue. Um, we potentially haven't dealt with it ideally in the part like they just don't have that language around it which increases the level of conflict Mm. so just can't have those conversations or no one's trained them in how to have those conversations so that's one of the things that we're looking at supporting management with that do want to see a change is like okay so you change that's how change happens is is you individually change and then someone sees you change and they go wow that's a good change i want to do that i'll change right and that's that ripple effect rather than a decree from above we must all do it (laughs) like this now you know um so i think it's it's a common you know it's a thread that comes across any sort of human interaction is that is that need to be heard, that need to be acknowledged and upskilling people to be able to have those conversations in a way that supports them to, to do that for other human beings, like regardless of role or, you know, hierarchy, just yeah. as people, wouldn't it be nice if we could just have <laughs> supportive conversations? It would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Your face says, like, would have saved me a lot of hassle. Oh, I would have saved me years worth of hassle. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's um, just, you know, all the stuff that I've gone through. And uh, I wouldn't have gone through half of it. And if I just had someone just to listen, 
<laughs> yeah. 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 It's um it's not to be underestimated. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Another yeah. highly underestimated valuable asset to have is to someone to call you out on your bullshit. And <laughs> and that's my my offering as a coach is you know I don't have pom-poms I'm not going to cheer you on you're doing so great like if your life was great you probably wouldn't need a coach do you know what I mean so and people find that challenging not everybody's ready to be called out on their bullshit like hey you know that um response you had have you noticed that that's the same pattern that you use with this person and this person and this person maybe it's you you know like let's let's examine that for and people like whoa you know so I think I think I'm a fun coach, but I definitely call people out on their bullshit yeah. only for the intention of moving forward. Like mm. it's it's only not to be nasty, but so that people can get out of those loops, those behavior loops, those thought pattern loops and going, well, you know, maybe if you stop doing it that way, what do you think might happen? Oh, yeah. Wow. Imagine if I stopped doing it that way, you know, <laughs> having that, that same dynamic with that same person, you know, like, yeah. what if you just stepped out of that loop? Oh shit. You know, that changes things. Cool. Yeah, I'm so, not yeah. Coach, but I have friends that I've politely suggested <laughs> that it could be them. Like I, I show them their patterns and sometimes it will have a really negative effect to it. Like they'll shut down immediately, which I get. I've yeah. done that before. And other times I'm like, oh, it is me. But, and then they'd like fall into this depression. I'm like, you need to continue, <laughs> not just yeah. know it's you and then just stop because, yeah, you're just going to keep repeating. Yeah, I think the frame around it has to be supportive and like you know the whole goal of pointing those things out is so that you can then be empowered to make a change that shifts you in the direction you go not out and then you're like you're right I'm a horrible person <laughs> you know like that's that's a very unproductive response you know so you want to make sure that they're in a place to be able to take that information on board and then leverage off it for yeah. the positive um, yeah, I think, I think that, and that's the difference between a friend and a coach, you know, your friend is going to go, why do you keep dating these dickheads? You know, like, <laughs> that's the job of a friend is to call you out on that sort of stuff. And it's okay because they'll still be a friend because you're friends. Um, you know, whereas I guess from a coach point of view, there's not that inherent love between you. There might be really great rapport, but yeah. ultimately a coach can probably get away with things. I think that maybe your friend wants to like, oh, I don't want to upset them. Yeah. Um, whereas a coach can be like, you're paying me to move your life forward. So, you know, I'm going to, that's, that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. Um, so we can sometimes get away with a little bit more sort of bluntness, I think. Uh, yeah. Um and I think that's what makes coaches coaches the bluntness and not being worried what they're going to think or how they're going to act or the response. It's not, like, it's not about me. I actually, I don't need my clients to be my friends. Like we're friendly, um, but I don't need them to like, I'm okay if they're angry at me. I'm okay if a client, you know, spends 24 hours seething and like, oh, that really upset me when you said that thing. And I'm like, okay. And after you were upset, what happened? Well, then I realized I needed to. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm all right with you being upset at me. 
if it moves in the direction that you've told me you want to move in. So, yeah. yeah, um, And that's the importance of, of having that training, I think, as a coach is to not take it all personally. And, you know, we're not friends and you're not, you know, paying me to be your mate. You're paying me to get, get you towards your goals. Um, so I think it's important as for coaches doing training is to understand it's not about you. It's 100% about the client yeah. and be okay with being yelled at or, or, you know, not being, having your client displeased yeah. because that's not actually a requirement. This is entirely my opinion. Some coaches really want to be friends with their um, clients. Some coaches want to be, uh, you know, foster a community where everyone loves each other and we're very supportive. Um, This is just my sort of, you know, focus. My goals as a coach is to just get my client where they've told me they want to go. And if sometimes that means a bit of tough love, then that's what they're getting. Yeah. But not everyone's ready for that. No, they're not. <laughs> like your friends that shut down yeah. and withdraw and be like, oh, what have I done? But that was me many, many years ago. Someone tried to call me out my bullshit. I'm like, yeah, see you later. <laughs> I'm happy in my little box over here. Not really, but I thought of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's called the comfort zone, Ray, because yeah. it's really comfortable there. No, and and, and by virtue of that, everything beyond it is inherently uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's that's the deal there's no escaping that so yeah yeah, not everyone's uh okay with uncomfortable yeah it's challenging (laughs) challenging yeah (laughs) (laughs) find a lot of things challenging lately like going to circle and doing meditation and breath work and just everything and um yeah this week was probably my hardest week i've had because i was in get shit done constantly this week that I hadn't had a break at all to myself yeah yeah and I broke down I think I cried for like four days straight <laughs> um needs to get out yeah and even like I said in the circle last night that um yesterday um I had a meeting that got cancelled and I literally stayed in bed I didn't get up I didn't eat I didn't do anything I just stayed in bed and I was just on my phone the entire time and yeah they pulled me out on it because they like that's not resting that's not rest because you're on your phone you're still doing things you're not resting you know they're talking about like having a bath or being in a meditation state and doing all these things and I'm like felt like rest (laughs) yeah I think like it's it's not it's good to get different perspectives Mm. um I I personally would say if it felt like rest to you and you've got a lot of physical body stuff going on at the moment too. So if your body was physically resting, um, maybe that's what you needed and your brain was okay to keep, you know, scrolling or watching whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, I, again, like we were speaking about before, you know, you know you better than, than you. There is a concept that was introduced to me years ago called active resting. And it's this idea of, Um, a bit like what they were talking about. So active resting is deliberately doing things that fill your cup. So active resting might be doing a little pruning in the garden, might be cooking or baking if that's your thing. It might be, um, you know, paint by numbers or, you know, doing an activity that 
uh, you know, going for a, a, a walk in nature, um, doing an activity that you enjoy purely for your own joy yeah. that fills you up. Um, and I think rather than just, you know, Netflix or scrolling, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is also a role for that. Like some days are doona days. Some days are like, you know what? I'm just binge watching this series and that's that's yeah. what I'm doing today. <laughs> you know, I call them doona days. Yeah. I'm having a doona day. That's it. Um, this is this is this is all we can hope for today. Um, and I think it's about finding that balance. Some days I feel energetically depleted and I need an active resting day where I'm going to do some stuff. So this afternoon I'm going to do a bit of gardening out in the front yard and prune the roses that have gone crazy and a few other things like that because I've still I feel physically energetic, but I'm emotionally and energetically a bit drained because I've had a crazy couple of weeks since we were allowed to go out and you know have coffee in person and I have done that and I've sort of been all over the place and I'm like actually I've done a bit too much peopling for me (laughs) so I need to refill that cup and do those active resting activities for me but that's not to say that tomorrow is not a doona day and I'm just like you know I live here now somebody bring me coffee you know like um I think it's about finding that balance, but being aware that there's there are different kinds of resting, which is probably what they were trying to highlight for you. Yeah. But if you know, if yesterday was a doona day, then it's a doona day. And yeah. I think they gave me some exercise to do. <laughs> it's important to not punish yourself for doing that as well. Like sometimes I think that the self-talk um can be just as toxic as making poor food choices or you know you might decide to have a nice restful day but then you spend the whole time beating yourself up in your head about all the things you should be doing and whatever well then you're not really getting the benefit of the resting so rest in whatever way and allow it accept it enjoy it recognize that you're doing something for yourself rather than lying there relaxing thinking about the laundry and the dishes and the stuff you've got to do for work and you know um, because that's going to take away from allocating that day to rest or half a day or two hours or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. I think what we tell ourselves is um, crucially important to how we feel. Mm. Yeah. yeah. you got to give yourself a break, right? <sighs> okay. telling me. <laughs> We're all just no, making no, no, I've got shit to do. <laughs> It'll be there. That's one, one thing I've one thing I've learned, you know. The the laundry will be there tomorrow. It's not going anywhere. If I don't get it done today, it's okay. Be the stuff that I'm doing for other people. That's that's where mm. I I'm like I'm going through all this pain and tiredness and frustration so they don't have to. Mm. Yes, the curse uh. of the <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think we are typically as women really good at that we're really good at putting ourselves on the bottom of our own priority list and supporting others Mm -hmm. and and sacrificing for them you know exactly what you've just said I'm going to go through the the pain and the stress and the fatigue so they don't have to um so what does that do for them 
What does that do for them if you if you do that? What opportunity are you taking away from them by doing things for them? Hmm. Especially a good one. Because as we were saying before about getting outside the comfort zone, all mm. growth happens outside the comfort zone. Growth only occurs when you're uncomfortable. My son's hermit crabs are on the floor next to me here, right? When they outgrow their shell and they get yep. too big and they become uncomfortable, that's when they shed and they become bigger, the next version of themselves and they get a new shell. And it's, it's that leveling up. Yeah. Right? And we do that as human beings. But if you have, no, if there's no, if there's no challenge, if there's no struggle, if there's no uncomfortable, this is too small now, then there's no, it, never a requirement for leveling up and growth. Mm. So sometimes I, I've had to pull back on my own helping and I'll do it. And um, because I realize I'm actually robbing them of that opportunity for their own growth, for their own uncomfortable which means that they get to stay where they are and I'm, you know, alleviating some of their distress perhaps or pain or, you know, nuisance or whatever. Um, But then, then they don't have to go through that process of, you know, comfortable, uncomfortable growth. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm actually taking that away from them because I'm so eager to relieve everybody else's stress or anxiety or, you know, worry. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, we burden ourselves with everybody else's stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's just a practice. I think it comes with practice. My fa- my my hashtag of the week has been no is a sentence. Yeah. No is it, no as a complete sentence. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no. Mm, I and getting comfortable with that. that. I said no to someone. Yeah, I find it really challenging. Yeah. I find it really challenging, but it's a, it's a I think there comes a point where you've you've got to um you've got to weigh up your sanity. <laughs> you know, like how much how much burden and fatigue and responsibility are you willing to take on? You know, because probably like me, you've you've done this circle multiple times and get to the point of collapse or burnout or exhaustion or you know so let's learn from that this is the (laughs) the lessons that I've learned is to go right well hang on a minute before we get to the point of I've got nothing left and I just can't uh okay hang on what are like three steps before that and how does that feel and at that point Mm. what do I need to do what do I need to change and that's about boundaries. And a friend, a beautiful friend of mine I spoke to earlier this week gave me a mantra. I'll show you my little, this is my little mantra. Everything is on post-it notes in my life. <laughs> and it's, this is my filter. So as opportunities or people ask me to do stuff or, you know, would you like to speak here? Can you run a workshop here? I'm going to run it through this filter. And it says, does it make me happy? Does it make me better? Does it make me money? And does it make my heart sing? And if it's not going to hit, you know, three, maybe all four of those, yeah. I'm not going to do it. Mm. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to give this a shot for six months. 
and see how I feel in myself. Because I'm like you, I'm so, I'm sick of being exhausted. I'm yeah. sick of being drained. I'm sick of being at that, you know, the when the line goes just past the E on the fuel tank, you know, you know, when it's like, it's we're, we're actually past empty. We're still moving. We're still yeah. going. So there's some still sort going. of like, you know, emergency tank fuel we're running on, but yeah. I'm actually past empty. I'm, I'm so drained. And I think a lot of us get to this time of year and think, oh God, I've got to get through Christmas. And, you know, and it's, uh, it's, I didn't, I didn't save up. I didn't save up energy for December. (laughs) I haven't been putting it away in a little special pocket and going, I'll pull that out and I'll do bloody, you know, Christmas shopping and having everybody at my house. And, oh, you know, once again, it snuck up on me and I seem to do this every year. So I'm looking forward to using that method, trying out that mantra and asking myself these questions, running it through that filter and then see how I feel in six months. Yeah. And see if that has an effect on that, like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. Um, because I've got to break that cycle for myself. Yeah. So I can, um, actually, somebody else I was speaking to and they were like, can you send me those questions? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we need to share this around. This is genius. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I need those questions. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna credit Sharon Kafoa who gave me those questions, and I'm like, this is gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every woman I know, and not just women, but every woman I know is like, I need them questions. Mm. Even just waking up and looking at my day and asking myself those questions, which has probably changed the aspect of my whole day. Like, am I doing yeah. things that aren't fueling me? And yeah, yeah, it's just—it's <laughs> a complete shift in focus from things that need to be done to things that you want to do. Mm. And what often happens when I get in this cycle of uh, doing a human doing rather than a human being mm. is that I lose fun. I lose wonder I lose joy I lose the things that are the first to drop off when I get busy and fall into overwhelm is the things that make me happy which kind of sounds insane right um but you know that's um um that's spending time with my son that's sitting on the floor playing lego that's doing my creative arts projects that's like that's all the stuff that i'm like i don't have time to do it because i've got to do this this and this and i said i was going to prepare a slide deck and i said i was going to do this presentation and um and i and i drop off those things that fill my cup those things that make me go yeah that was fun i really enjoyed that you know and I'm like, well, okay, well, what if I flip this around? What if I flip that around for six months? And for six months, I prioritize the stuff that makes me go, yeah, which is having conversations and speaking to people and, um, you know, speaking at events where I really feel like people are hearing what I'm saying and they're taking something and it's, you know, helping, I'm sharing something of value that's the stuff that lights me up. That's the stuff that makes me happy. You know, when someone's like, oh, okay, you know, there's been stuff this year that I'm like, I can, I can do it. 
you know, help, help people do things that they're very buzzed about. And I've supported them in that and I've helped them in that with varying levels of effort. Um, but it's not my jam. <laughs> I'm like, how would life be different if I spent at least the first half of the year? I have a suspicion what's going to happen is I'm going to get to June. I'm just going to be like, I'm just doing this now. Like, I don't want to go back to doing shit because I have to, or I feel obliged or because I can, or because I like to help, you know, I'm just going to probably, I, I imagine I'm just going to stick to the cool stuff and just be like, this is all I do now is stuff that lights me up. That makes me excited. That makes me happy, makes me better, makes me money and or makes my heart sing and any combination of those. And what, what would that be like? (laughs) Imagine getting up every day and knowing that you're only doing things that hit those targets. Yeah. Be bouncing out of bed going, ooh, I, I, to <laughs> right. I know it's such a yeah. simple, a simple shift. So simple, but not necessarily easy because there's so much chatter about the things that you have to do. Mm. And it's it's that's I think therein lies the the challenge is that internal conflict of, yeah, but I should be doing, you know, should, I think is one of the worst, it's the worst word in the English language. Yeah. Should, should is a shaming word. Yeah. Um, you should know how to do that already. You should have done that. Mm-hmm. I should already be further down the line, whatever. So yeah. it's, it's a shaming word and it's completely demotivating. Should is not a word that, makes you go yeah I should do that right like nobody says that (laughs) people will say like oh I want to do that or I can do that or I choose to do that but should is like look it's such a years ago I'm like every time I say should I have this overwhelmed sense of guilt (laughs) yeah right yeah I should eat better I should exercise more. Like, yeah, okay. Do you like, know I what? I know I should do these things, but I'm going to put all this guilt and shame on myself and don't end up doing it and then just keep repeating guilt. the pattern. Can you imagine if guilt and shame were motivating emotions, <laughs> I would weigh half what I weigh and I'm like, my skin would be clear. Like, oh my God. If you could layer those that guilt and shame and then it actually made you change shit in your life, like I would be fly, <laughs> like I'd be a millionaire, I'd have a Lamborghini in the garage. Like, but they're not. They're very demotivating, heavy bleh, that 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 puts you in that state. And then you're like, well, I'm just gonna eat a 12 pack of cinnamon donuts. Um, <laughs> because you know, you're like, um, yeah, they're not, they're not motivating feelings you know whereas choice and options and empowerment are motivating they move you to to go and do the next thing and um and that's why I'm so passionate about personal empowerment getting people to a point where they're like hey you know what it's my life and if I don't like what's happening in my life I'm gonna change shit yeah right and that's ultimately the choice that I made diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, and depression was like, well, this is what you have now. This mm. is what you need to learn to live with. This is what you have to manage. And I went, I don't want to. <laughs> but I don't want to. Can I not? Is there an option B where I don't? Because that sounds shit. Um, and it was that 
empowering realization that like, Hey, you know what? It is my life. Mm. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be sick on the couch. I don't want to be angry at my kids for no reason. I don't want to be managing, which I don't know anyone that like manages their mental health very well. Like everyone I know that is told that they have to manage their mental health is like coping. Um, when when things move to um, existence, survival, mm. rather than living. Um, whereas when you, when you make a choice, this is my life, this is what I want to do with my life, this is how I want to feel in my life, and reverse engineer a plan. Yep. If I want to be there... What are the steps? How, how do I how do I work my way backwards? So here I am. Here's where I want to be. How do I reverse engineer a structure or a plan or a system that's going to get me there? Mm. Yeah. And I, if I hadn't made that decision, I'd still be on the couch. Yeah. So how do you get up to that point? That point of making that decision. Ray, if I could bottle that, I'd, I'd be a millionaire. Yeah. In my case, <laughs> in my case, I'd been sitting on the couch for three or four months trying on what I call a victim state, trying on, okay, well, this is me now. I have these mental health conditions and uh, I'm going to collect a pension. Uh, I was 34. My youngest was three two I think at the time and um and my older kids were at primary school and I tried that I tried four months of like three four months on the couch of like oh well okay well my best years are behind me and um you know I was I was reminiscing about all the work I'd done as a paramedic and all the lives I'd saved and brought babies into the world and like you know um uh, you know, it's that it's that movie quote. You know, I used to be a contender. I used to be someone. You know, um, and I would look back and just it'd make me miserable thinking that that was over. I was done. I'm finished. My life is finished. My functional work life, my um, engagement in society, my contribution to my community, all of that was now done because I am sitting on the couch with PTSD, anxiety, depression, fibromyalgia. Um, and this is who I am now. Yeah. And I, I gave it a shot, honestly. I tried it. <laughs> I tried it for three or four months, <laughs> wallowing. Um, and in my case, I just got sick of myself. I just got, I, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to whinge about my life anymore. <laughs> I just got sick of hearing my own, complaints and my own misery I was like all right that's that's enough what do you this is not okay mm. and I realized I've been put on a temporary disability pension at 34 and at the time I wasn't suicidal anymore so I was like thinking about my future and I was like I don't want to spend another 34 years on this couch reminiscing this is not a life mm. so what do I want to do and I had no idea, but I knew what I didn't want. Yeah. And that 
that moving away from energy. So human beings, we've got this sort of what we call meta programs and you're either, we do both, but you're either mostly moving away from person. Like you go, this situation is crap or this person is crap or this job or whatever. And I need to move away from it. So I'm leaving or we're moving towards person where we set goals and we get an idea and we're like, that's what I want. I am going for it. You know, the, the professional athletes are like, I want to win gold at the Olympics and I'm going to work my ass off to be that person that can do that. Right. And they're moving towards motivated because they've got a, a goal. They've got something they want to achieve. I'm n- not necessarily a moving towards person. Um, I'm more a moving away person and often what we do as people is we need them moving away from to give us that initial kick that, you know, to, to get us moving. And then we can start setting goals and go, ah, now I know where I'm headed, but I had none of that. I didn't know where I was headed. didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I just knew I didn't want to live it on the couch. And so it was enough for me to get me off and start looking for answers, start asking questions, talking to people and, and trying to find how can I not be there anymore? I don't know where I'm going, but I don't want to be there. How do I not be there anymore? Um, And a series of conversations led to uh, ending up at uh, a coaching uh, school Mm -hmm. and started 18 months of, um, I was like a, I was like a, thirsty woman in the desert uh, <laughs> when it came to to education and learning yeah. I was like you know I got taught uh, you know basic coaching skills and and you know how to get people from here to there and um, uh, and then I learned NLP and then I was like oh my god that's amazing and then I did master prac of NLP and then I did behavioral profiling and then I, did, I was like what else do you have what else can I learn about people because everything that I was learning, I was applying to myself mm. and I was integrating for myself rather than keeping it as a abstract concept. Like one day I could use this to help other people. Um, I was integrating all of it as I went along over that 18 months. And yeah. by the end of that, um, I was off my medication and symptom free. And then um, about six months later, officially went for a, a independent medical examination and they said you don't tick the boxes anymore you don't have PTSD and I was like cool awesome job done (laughs) I've got stuff to do you know um and so I was lucky in that I think I probably had about two years before I was diagnosed looking back I'm like oh yeah I can see that now I can see the symptoms and short temper and I was not coping and my mental health was not good for 18 months or two years before I was um, my job ended my career ended as a as a paramedic uh and then I probably had it for maybe two years in the healing process yeah um and I think if I live my grandma's 93 so you know geez if I make it to 80 and four years of my life was spent with mental health challenges and coming out of them that is a very small percentage of my life And that was my goal. I don't want this to be my existence forever. I Okay, so I spent 30, you know, odd years of my life without this stuff. How do I get to not having it again? And so as I get older, we're now five years down the line. 
and I get further away from that little short period of my life and I keep stacking up good years, you know, better years, they're not all great, right? <laughs> um, that little that little space in the middle becomes smaller and smaller and smaller as I get older and older and older and I'll be able to look back at, you know, in 20 years' time at 60 uh, and go, right, yeah, that bit in the middle was rocky. (laughs) But I had an incredible career beforehand. I have a beautiful family and I've been able to have so many opportunities since. So it just, it's, it's less impactful and um and i'm grateful for that and i feel blessed for that and i recognize that a lot of people being challenged by mental illness have done for decades for years and years and i'm so lucky i feel lucky and 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 as i said grateful that i was able to minimize the impact in my life the duration in my life i don't take i don't i'm not like and everybody can do that. Like I recognize that that's, um, that's uh, an achievement. That's a big thing. Yeah. Mm. Um, for what you were saying before, um, oh, would have been like 15 years ago now, 14, 15 years ago, I, um, I, I was suffering from PTSD and anxiety and depression and like a huge event happened and I had to get myself out of it, which took every little thing that I had within me to be able to do that and I could not see in front of me I couldn't see what was going to happen um and depression hit hard then even though I knew it was the right decision to make yeah yeah and none of this is none of this is easy no you know, I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all unicorns now, but Jesus, you know, it was not puppies and sunshine. I was talking to a friend of mine. We we're talking about personal development and personal growth and, and that hermit crab, you know, expansion of yourself and leveling up. It's, it's not glitter farts and rainbows. It's fucking hard work. Like, I don't know if I could say that on your podcast, Lucy. You can say whatever um, <laughs> Try and stop me. Um, and we were talking about, you know, this journey. Everyone talks about the journey and the path to, you know, wellness. And, and it's all very lovely. And, you know, if you're a little bit woo-woo and there's just the conversation around it is like, you know, and I've transformed. And the reality of, of growth is far more like t- peeling all of your skin off and running down the street and having people throw vinegar at you as you go. That is a better metaphor for growth. It's fucking hard and it really hurts and you want to give up like every moment of every day and crawl back to your comfort zone like, please, just, you know, help me. Someone get a blanket. Um, it's not easy it's not an easy thing to to embark on and it's not an easy thing to go through but you know when when you're knee deep in shit you gotta keep moving you know don't stay there and pitch a tent and make it your home like get to the other side get to the next shoreline keep going so I'm never gonna you know 
bullshit people that like, oh, was, you know, I went on this 18 month, you know, spiritual exploration. <laughs> um, no, nah, it was shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was really hard. But what I, what I near guarantee is that it's damn well worth it. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't flick to my life on elements of my life on my worst enemy, you know. So, yes, I was an ambulance paramedic. Yes, that contributed to my PTSD. Um, I've, I'm a dual rape survivor. That contributed to my PTSD. Um, I've got intergenerational trauma. All four of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. That contributed to my PTSD. So there are events and circumstances in my life where I would not wish them on anybody. But I am at the point now in, in what is called in the biz post-traumatic growth that I'm so grateful for all the shit yep. because it's got me to where I am now and where I am now most of the time rocks. Again, still an allowance for Duna days to be clear, but yep. most of the time on balance, life's pretty good, especially when I compare it to the, the darkest of the dark, the worst of the, you know. Yeah, those those really dark periods, and I was suicidal at times, multiple yep. times. Um, in terms of, um, I had suicidal intrusive thoughts, so I would uh, find myself sort of daydreaming about driving into a tree. Um, you know, the sort of same way you might fantasize about a handsome boy or you know that's like yeah. you find yourself sort of distracted about it yeah. um I didn't know that they were intrusive thoughts at the time I just kept thinking about driving into a tree to be clear I was not suicidal in intention though mm-hmm. so, uh, I have been in the past sort of you know 17 years old and and whatnot but in this period in my early 30s um I had the thoughts they kept visiting yeah. uh, but I would I didn't have the intent because I had a, my my beautiful baby and you know I would never I think also particularly as an ambulance paramedic I've attended several suicides and to see what's left for the family and and how they you know that's a that's a we all leave ripples and I talk about ripples a lot you know we we all leave ripples in the world and some of them we're aware of them and some of them we're not mm-hmm. but your your existence every single person's existence has an effect on other people and it may be people that you don't interact with that are affected um and i think we typically underestimate how far our ripples go Mm. in life and the impact that we actually do have i went to a funeral uh early very early this year of someone that i hadn't seen hadn't spoken to for over a decade and and my part of my grief was that I never told him of the impact that he had had in my life, you know, over 10 years earlier. He never knew. Now, this place was full, full of people. They couldn't close the doors, you know, and sometimes it takes an event like that, like going to a funeral and realising shit. You know, let's reflect on that. Who would come to my funeral? Like, I don't know, assuming it's uh, not limited by uh, a pandemic, you know, and everybody that wanted to come could come. Yeah. Um, I, my goal is to make 
big ripples mm. my goal and and positive ripples you know and suicide and um those types of choices they also make ripples but they make ripples that leave a stain yeah. you know and um having been in that space where your self-talk and for anybody listening that's dealing with suicidal thoughts or has somebody in their life that is dealing with that and they don't get it because I think if you've never been there, if you've never been down to the bottom of that hole, <coughs> it can seem really extreme, mm. you know, to, to even be considering taking your own life it can seem really like that's full on yeah. when you're in it. <clears throat> this you've really sort of you've almost like gaslighted yourself you've convinced yourself over a period leading up to that where you know my self-talk was very much that as a paramedic I would save people's lives by not turning up to work you're so shit at your job you would be helping the community because you know that's my drive by not showing up because you're so shit you don't know what you're doing. You're the worst paramedic. Everyone would be better off if you didn't turn up. If you build on that, if you build that negativity and you keep building it, there is a point that comes where a suicidal person, honestly, and this is my own opinion, not a psychologist, don't work for Lifeline, right? where you reach a point where you honestly, truly believe it is your truth that everybody you love would be better off. You would be less of a burden if you were not present, if you weren't there. Mm. And so you're, do, you're helping the people that you care about by taking yourself out of the equation. Mm. And that's why it seems like a viable option. Now, I've spoken to many suicidal people over the last five years that I've been doing this work in mental health. And primarily, the, the, what we uncover is that what the situation is that they are in the middle and there are circumstances around that they're not happy with. Their job, their life, their emotional health, their relationships. You know, there's circumstances in their life that are making them think about this as an option yeah and so my questions are if you had the relationship if your dreams if you got the job you wanted if you were living you know in a household that supported you and you know all that sort of stuff would you still want to kill yourself yeah. oh well no because then everything would be fine am I right so it's not you that's the issue it's the circumstances around it so is it okay if we work on changing these circumstances? Let's get your mental health back on track. Let's get your physical health back on track. Let's look at how we can support your housing situation or your relationships or, you know, whatever those other contributing factors are. Let's work on those circumstances because I've never had somebody say, oh, yeah, if my life was perfect, I'd still want to end it. No one's ever said that to me. Mm. Right? So it's what is going on around the individual they that can feel very overwhelming and the simplest thing to do apparently in that warped thinking space is well i'll just 
take myself out of this. I'll, you know, that's, I'll remove myself and then everything's sorted, but it's, it's not, you know, it just, it just, it just shifts the problem to somebody else, to other people. They've then got to deal with, you know, what's left behind as we all know, because it's such a, a huge issue in this country. Yeah. There are times, a lot of times where I have had those thoughts that it'd be easier. I had too much going on and, and at the time you don't see a way out of it. You don't see those parts of your life improving. It's, and those thoughts of it's better to take myself out of the equation isn't always necessarily, I want to kill myself. It's, Mm. it's just a, it's just better for everyone else. Yeah. 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 And I think often, um, often it's misunderstood as a, as a selfish decision when in actual fact, I think for a lot of people, what drives it is, is exactly the opposite is this sense of um, wanting to make everybody else's life easier by not having to do with me and my shit. Mm. Yeah, like we're doing them a favour, which, you know, must be warped thinking. You know, that has to come from a place of a a skewed lens. You know, these people are not seeing the world clearly or as it is. I think it's important to uh, have really open conversations about mental health and about suicide because if someone for example listens to you know this podcast with Ray and goes oh my god those are the sorts of thoughts that I have and it's not that I want to die I just don't want to be in my current situation anymore I just need things to change but all the things that need to change are very overwhelming and I can't do it by myself okay great well, that means that you need to reach out and get some help. And, you know, if if you're not sure where to go, message Ree, message Lisa, right? And we can point you in the right direction mm-hmm. um, to change those circumstances. We're not meant as human beings to be solo creatures. Human beings are tribal creatures. We are meant to have support around us. We're meant to do life as a team member. So you got to get a team. If you don't have a team, you got to start gathering people around you that are going to help you go where you want to go yeah. and do what you want to do. We're not meant to do this by ourselves. We're just not built that way. And that's a big thing. Like I, I've spent so many years saying, no, you know, I'm my own person. I can do this myself. I don't need anybody. And when in fact I do. And yeah, uh, it, we it, all do. And that's the thing, like, it's not a flaw. It's not a character flaw. It's not a weakness. That's the nature of humanity, you know, and it's, it's changing that, that um, self-talk paradigm that like, if I need help, it's a weakness. If I need help, then I've failed. Like, that's like, that's, that's not true. Hmm. Yeah, it's not true. And what we do is we reinforce that, you know, month after month, year after year, and you develop this concept of well you know I've got to back myself and um and it becomes truth but 
basic human requirements are that we need to be with others. I mean, you're not even meant to buy a single chicken, Ray. You're not meant to have one chicken because they don't cope, right? You need to buy at least two or three chickens because they're meant to be with their kind. They're meant to be with others right? Like it's a chicken, you know, one person on their own does not thrive. Mm. So our requirement for community and for network and for tribe is in our inherent nature as human beings. Mm. So it's not a failing, it's not a weakness. Oh, you're a person. Oh, (laughs) how dare you be a person? Right. Um, you know, and if anybody needs permission, <laughs> this is your permission. <laughs> yeah, <Okay>. exactly. <laughs> it's okay. Take this as Lisa said, it's okay for me to be a human being and need some support because yeah. we're not meant to do life alone. And in my, in my, um, workshop and my coming book, seven elements to wellness tribe is number one. That's yeah. where we start because to do every other aspect of life without tribe, which could be your family, it could be your roots, it could be, you know, the people you come from, it could be the people you surround yourself with now. It can be offline, it can be offline, online, offline, both either. <laughs> your tribe is is your people, either your people by blood or your people by choice. Yeah. But but we all need we all need our tribe. Mm. Yeah, because we're not individual entities. We're part of a collective Yeah, on many, many levels. And we could go crazy woo-woo on that one, right? I've, um, I've been to quite a lot of funerals, especially in the last few years. And um, one, one of them being a, a suicide. Um, I think I was, I was at the time I was so angry I was angry at this person and yeah. I was remembering the last time we were together and thinking if I did something or if I said something um, but I had no idea even having conversations with her at the time I had no idea um, that she would even consider something like that and the next time I hear about her she's she's gone and I was was just I was just so angry at her like how could you how could you do that like Mm. I didn't get it yeah yeah it wasn't until a few years later that I started having Mm. um, those thoughts not in the sense of wanting to kill myself but in the sense of like we said taking myself out of it just to Mm. make better off and um you know i think at the time i think that's what she was thinking but she just went through with it yeah it's just that extra half a step you know it's uh i've 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 yelled (laughs) i've yelled at the top of my lungs stop the world i want to get off Mm, yeah yeah I, i just i need i need a break and i think overwhelm is a real uh element in the discussion around depression, anxiety, and suicidality. This this absolute state of of overwhelm. There's just too much, too much input, too much pressure, and I'm 
crumbling under the weight. Mm. And for some people that sends them down a depression spiral of inadequacy, beliefs about inadequacy. Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not handling the pressure. So that, you know, be something wrong with me. I must be, you know, insert failure list here mm. or that overwhelm produces anxieties about all the things that must be done yesterday and last week and I haven't even done that and oh my god you know and so that's I think part of the reason that I'm so um, passionate about boundaries and knowing your limits and accepting your humanity and you know I don't know about you but you know I'm wearing my undies on the inside I'm not a superhero Neither are you. I don't see people getting around with their undies on the outside, right? We're not superheroes. We don't have to save everybody. Mm. We don't have to do everything for everybody. We're just one person. Yeah. And being one person is not a failing. It's just the truth. And acknowledging that and loving that and accepting that and going, you know what? Me being one person means that no I can't do that Mm. can you no I have a lot on my plate right now I could do that in January oh January well that's when I can handle that you know added responsibility or burden or you know task right um if that doesn't work for you you can go find one another one other person who maybe has less currently on their plate and they can do it for you sooner. Yeah. You know, and being, I think self-forgiveness and self-acceptance in that of that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You know, that's not a failing. That's not a weakness. That's going, hey, I'm just one person and I'm doing 75 spinning plates here and I actually <laughs> can't take any more plates. Um, and that, that, that that's okay. And most of us, um, particularly those that are, you know, have been going, yeah, that's, yeah, all right, I'll do it. Yeah, okay, sure, you can all come to my place for Christmas. Oh, yeah, no, that's fine. I'll do it, yeah, right? those of us that like habitually do that Mm. um it feels like it feels dramatic right it feels big to be like no that's not like you know how could I say that out loud um it can't it comes with practice but it's it's a it's a change for the good you know when your comfort zone is uncomfortable Mm what's happening right so that's why I don't even like to call it the comfort zone I call it the familiar zone because Mm -hmm. it's familiar and we will stay there even if it's uncomfortable because it's familiar so but there's no growth in that right so we'll stay there and be like no no that's okay how many times have you said that's all right I'm used to it I think my laugh gives that away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's all right. I'm used to it. Like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that you, 
<laughs> yeah. Is that something you should be used to? You know, like my my father said, you know, I'm sure I could get used to drinking a little bit of arsenic every day, but it's not something I want to get used to, you know, like. And, and like the frustrating is I know I do these things and I recognize the patterns. And then when I see it in other people, I get frustrated. <laughs> because you're frustrated at yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the yeah. beautiful thing about humanity is that the things that annoy you in somebody else you're like why isn't she taking better care of herself you know, like, <laughs> you know and we'll tell all our friends in facebook comments that they they have earned a day off you know like mm-hmm. you deserve it sister and then we're like yeah no that's fine no i'll just get it i'll do it and you're like Fuck, why do i always say this right like so we see those behaviors in other people it reflects on us and we're like God, that really annoys me that they're not standing up for themselves. It really annoys me that they're, you know, being taken advantage of. It really, and it's so much easier to see that in other people. But it's all information, and what is highlighted to us in others is always reflected within us. So you can't see something in another person unless it exists within you, or you wouldn't recognize it. Yeah. So the flip side of that is when you look at people. Um, you know, online or in, in the real world and you think, wow, they have courage. Mm. They have bravery. They are strong. They are funny. They are fearless, right? Whatever things that you you look at and admire, that also must exist within you yeah. or else you wouldn't recognise it. That's actually really powerful because not a lot of people would would see it that way. Like, I want to be this and oh, I want to be that. And you're just like this person. I admire this about this person when in fact they have all those qualities as well. You have that. Mm. How would you know that you wanted to be courageous mm. if you didn't know what courageous was? Yeah. And you know what courageous is because at some point in your past, you've already done it. So it already lives in you. And you, you're, what you're recognising is that you want more of that. Mm. Or you want to reconnect with that. And the irony is, like you said, you've already got it. It's in there. You just got to dial it up and and give yourself opportunities to show yourself that you do have it. And sometimes that is having a challenge and giving yourself an opportunity to be courageous and be like, shit, I did it. It is in me. I do have it. I'm just like them. Yeah. And you need someone in your tribe to be there. And I yeah. love that word. I love that word so much, tribe. Because it's not just having like someone there or having a group, it's having a tribe. It's having someone like a whole a whole group of people to support you and, and call you out when they need to. And the tri- tribe is is your people, heart to heart, your people. You know, and you can have a tribe of three, you can have a tribe of 25 you can have a tribe of a thousand yeah it's not a it's not a numbers game it's about who you resonate with and who resonates with you and who do you connect with and you know and what we what we typically find is that your tribe is drawn to you based on your behaviors Mm. so if people, because behavior is how we assess each other. Yes. So you might have 
um, negative self-talk, but you, not you specifically, a person might have negative self-talk, but portray themselves as, you know, I'm banging, I've got my shit together, right? And that's how they present. Mm. They are going to attract people that are like, I've also got my shit together and I resonate with that, like, right? Now, the people that they get may also have, you know, secret self-worth issues, like who doesn't? Yeah. Um, But they're going to be drawn to that portrayal. And that's a little bit where that fake it till you make it concept comes from, Mm. is like if you step into the future version of you, the person of you you want to be and you start behaving that way, the universe will reward you in, my term is the universe, right, whatever whatever vernacular you want to put around that, the universe will reward you with what you're portraying. Mm. So if you're a victim and you get bullied at school, you've been in you know, less than ideal relationships. That's what you're putting out. I am a victim energetically. Then you will be sent one other victims so that you can all collect together and share misery and the opposite energy and you'll get bullies. My son was bullied at school, horribly, horribly bullied at school for most of his school career until he stopped playing the victim. And I now the phrase is playing the victim, but it's not pretend, right? But that's the, to be clear. Um, And as soon as he went, you know what? I'm just done with this. And he accepted himself for who he was. And he was like, well, you know, okay, cool. I'm the weird kid that really likes Dungeons and Dragons and whatever else. He embraced that. He had people coming to him that were like, you know, the same flavor nerd. And he had a bunch of friends and, you know, and the bullies were like, oh, well, he's no fun anymore because we can't pick on him about being a nerd because he's like, yeah, I am. Oh, well, that's no fun. Mm. You know, so your tribe will find you if you don't like your tribe, if you don't like the people around you, shift something. And your new tribe will be attracted to that. Mm. And and you in the world finding other people's tribes that you're like, I like the, I like the cut of their jib. I'm gonna go hang out with them. Yeah. Yeah. So it works both ways. Mm. But yeah, tribe is is crucial because we're not meant to do it alone. Yeah. So I have a unicorn tribe that I'm building. <laughs> I love that. And and the secret is we're all unicorns. Mm. You know, identical twins are not the same person. We're all we're all individuals and unique and special. The unicorn thing, just quickly, the unicorn thing came around when I came came out of the PTSD closet. And I said, uh, you know, hey, uh, I, I had this and now I don't. I feel great and you can too. And I had a whole lot of people telling me that wasn't possible. And if I have recovered or healed from PTSD, then I must not have really had it in the first place. Or that I was um, profiting off the illness of others, making giving them false hope about um, 
the ability to fully recover from something that they had been told they will have for the rest of their lives. And, uh, and that hurt a lot. A lot of that came from my, um, my ex tribe uh, of, of emergency services. And, um, and it hurt for a while. And I I sort of sat there bruised and I was like, I thought they'd be happy. (laughs) I thought thought everyone was going to go, Oh my God, what's the secret? Lisa, how did you do it? And instead I got, well, you know, you're full of it and you didn't really have it in the first place. And, you know, and I realized what was happening was that by me speaking out and saying, I ticked the box. I got the DSM diagnosis. I ticked all the, you know, bloody flashbacks and hypervigilance and all that. And now I don't. What they were hearing and taking on was if I can do it, anybody can, which I've not, I don't think I've said that often because not everybody can. Uh, I think it's possible for everybody, but not everybody can. Um, So they sort of felt like, She's saying that it's possible to get over this. So if I haven't, and they were using that to beat themselves up because they hadn't made the progress that I had made or that they imagined. You know what? Well, then I'm a magical creature, right? Like I must be a magical made up creature. If I, apparently what I have done is impossible and I can't exist as someone who has, recovered from this you know PTSD anxiety depression then mm. I guess I guess I'm a unicorn you know? <laughs> and well, all right um and I've embraced that more and more yeah and we've all got potential to become unicorns and it's not you know like I said it's not all rainbows and glitter farts yeah <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not not promising uh, promising that it's going to be an easy an easy mm. trip, but it's worth it. Yeah, I have no idea what you wanted to talk about on this podcast. We've been talking for like two hours. It's um, it went completely different direction where I was going, which is absolutely great because that's the whole point of this podcast. Is just to have that conversation, to talk about these things. Is there anything in particular you, you want to ask? <laughs> I have like a whole list of questions, and uh, I haven't asked a single one of them. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I didn't get a lot out from this because I got to ask some questions that came to me at the time, or I got to talk about things. Um, and to be perfectly honest with you, this is the first time that I've publicly talked about. Um, my depression, um, my suicidal thoughts. I've never ever spoken to about it unless it's in, you know, a closed room where just because I had so much guilt and shame about it, like I'm someone who's suicidal, someone who has depression, anxiety. Um, I think a lot of the time um, when you get diagnosed with someone with uh, PTSD and depression, it's, it's, says a almost like this is who you are now you are someone who has PTSD you are someone who has depression and you can talk about it but you're always going to have this when that's not Mm. always the case because I don't classify myself as having PTSD anymore 
Well, that, that and I think that language around it is so important. And so I will never, I'll never, people used to say to me, oh, do you work with PTSD? And I was like, no, I work with human beings who are currently experiencing the symptoms of PTSD. Um, you know, when you, when you have a cold, you're not like, well, I'm a cold now. I'm a person with a cold, right? You're like, yeah, well, I'm still who I am. I just have cold right now. I'm suffering the symptoms of cold. I have a snotty nose and my eyeballs hurt, right? Whatever. Um, why, why with mental health labels is there an adoption into our identity rather than, okay, well, that's something that I'm currently going through. And for me, that was a really important shift it it is important like there are some people who prior to diagnosis um are very lost and they're very stressed like i feel i'm having these awful thoughts and i uh, i feel terrible and i i um you know all this stuff is going on and they're experiencing all of this and then when they get a diagnosis that comes as a relief because they're like right that makes sense I've got PTSD, I've got depression, I've got anxiety. That explains why I'm up at night and I can't sleep and I keep thinking about things and then I think about the thoughts and then I'm thinking about why am I thinking about thoughts, right? And and it gives them something to hold on to. They're like, right, that is anxiety. Okay, cool. And so for those people, the, the label comes as a relief. The diagnosis comes as really good. That finally makes sense. I'm not just nuts. There's a name for it and there's a treatment pathway and there's options forward, right? And for them, it can be comforting to receive that diagnosis. That was completely the opposite of, of the case for me. I got given those labels and I went, but I don't want them. <laughs> I just want to be like, uh, no, thank you. Um, I just want to not have any of this. I just want to not be, I don't want to talk about my worst days of my life over and over again. I just want to be well and happy and healthy. And I'm just going to work towards that. So, but I, I think it's important to recognize that for some people, it does help them find their tribe to have the label because then they know who they can talk to that's going to get it. And that's ultimately what we all want. Like we started this conversation talking about was about being heard and about being acknowledged. And so for some, that helps them be heard and be acknowledged. Mm. Um, I never wanted to take that on as my identity. I never wanted to be a broken ambo with PTSD. I was, but I pushed back hard and that's you know, just my personality I think I'm just stubborn um so but it's important to you know for some people it's a good thing and they find comfort in that and if you ultimately to me my measure is functionality functionality and well-being you know and if if holding on to a label saying I have anxiety allow empowers you to um to arrange your life in a way that you find support through other people that have anxiety or you can get resources um, and it allows you to be your best self with anxiety, then awesome. Yeah. Hold that. Cool. That's good. If the label of I have anxiety is crippling 
and it and it in my vernacular reinforces a victim mentality i have anxiety which means i can't dot 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 then maybe the diagnosis is not helping yep um because it's not allowing you to be your best self so it, it, you know, nothing in mental health is one size fits all. Nothing in mental health is a magic pill. You know, I know what worked for me. I've built models around what worked for me. I've written books about what worked for me, but I would never claim that I've got the solution. Yeah. I've, I have, I have a solution. Yeah. I don't have the solution because no two people experience the same label diagnosis the same way no. your anxiety is not the same as my anxiety your depression is not the same as my depression your ptsd is not the same as the next person with ptsd we have our version of it so the solution you know i've got a catchy t-shirt phrase it's coming uh which is wellness is a puzzle not a pill right it's about finding those parts that you can put together and go ah when i meditate and I go to my circle and I eat better and I exercise regularly and I have at least two doona days a week right now right those are the pieces right now that make me feel my most well self cool awesome I got told when I first got diagnosed people were like well you need to do yoga and you need to eat kale because <laughs> they're really healthy for you and I was like, kale. Yeah, no thanks. And <laughs> I went, I went to yoga class. I was like, sure, I'll try anything. Like, you know, mm-hmm. somebody could have suggested injecting some off. I was a bit like, is that going to make me feel better? Because I'll give it a shot. I was like, what? I'll try anything. I just don't want to feel shit anymore. And I went to a yoga class. I was like, all right, yoga. All right, let's give it a shot. Yoga's the answer, apparently. And it was awful and it super heightened my anxiety, right? Because I'm like in this class and I'm, you know, downward dogging and 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 the teacher would move on to the next thing and I'm like I don't think I'm doing it properly like my brain the self-talk was I don't think I'm doing it properly I don't think this is right why is she on the next one I haven't even done the last post oh my god and I left there like (laughs) I was like all right well at that point in time yoga was not one of my puzzles pieces like that was that was not good for me um I much prefer it now because I don't care if I get it wrong Um, But that's because I'm in a different space. Yeah. So what works for each individual has to be tried by that individual. And if it doesn't work, if you're like, oh, well, that's not my thing. Okay, cool. You've eliminated one option. Good. Which means you're getting closer to finding the things that do work for you. Yeah. And that's that's the the journey, (laughs) you know, um, is is trying and failing and trying and succeeding and trying and going, you know, now I don't mind a bit of kale every now and then. <laughs> I'll throw it in a smoothie, but I won't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. But it's not, you know, it's, there's not one size fits all. And I think the more that we can both individually and organisationally uh, and, and governmentally move towards models that support individualized mental health, everyone's going to be better off. Let's just have a conversation. There's, you know, there's no, uh, nothing, you know, no, no obligation. No, we'll just, let's have a chat. 
um, yeah. and start there. And, you know, if, if you want more of me, then we can work that out. And if you want me to point you in the direction of somebody else, that's an option. So, um, yeah, I think there, there really is no competition in mental health. We're all on the same team. We're all trying to support each other and, and help people be their best selves whatever that means for them, not for me to decide, for them. Cool. Thanks so much for your time, Ray. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope we've kicked off the, yeah, uh, the next the next round of, um, of podcasts. I'm sure there'll be uh, some more, more incredible guests and, and really important conversations. I commend you yeah. for doing the work that you're doing in this oh, space as you. well. And wish you best on your own... Uh, your own mission moving forward. <laughs>